continuing our sermon series called Soul Matters. And you, you will see it up there very soon, I'm pretty sure of that. We, if, you, if you remember last week, we spent some time talking about what, a, what, is, what does it mean to be human? And we said that every human being has three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And all of those parts are yearning for something. We have been created for union with God through our spirit man. We have been created for kingdom understanding and kingdom experience through our feelings, our emotions, our will, our decisions, through our souls. And we have been created for peace and security through our physical bodies. And that God means us to be, to be united to Him through His, His Spirit. God, as we are three in one, so we mirror the image of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that He is meant to, well, He, he desires to unite Himself through Jesus Christ, through His Spirit, to our Spirit, and fill all of our lives with His grace, with His fullness, with his life. That's what it means to be a human being fully alive. It means that we are united to him and that we are exhibiting his nature, his truth to the world around us and that his presence is dictating our sense of well-being. So Lord, I want to pray for every person here that Lord God, you would you would fill us with a great understanding of who you are. Lord, you would fill us with a greater understanding of who we are in you, Lord God. That you would, you would make a difference today. As we listen to your word, Lord God, would you speak to every heart here, Lord God. Holy One, would you, would you come and fill me, every person, with more of your presence, Lord God. Would you knock away, destroy, eliminate every barrier to the knowledge of your love. Lord God, we want to be the kind of people that from this day forward, forever, exhibit life to the world. We want to be a contagious representation of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I spoke about last week, which is a very sobering fact, that the rates of depression and anxiety in the world today are skyrocketing. People are not entirely sure why that is. Uh, medical professionals are not entirely sure why that is. But you know that to be true. In your world, how many more people are reporting depression, feelings of anxiety, feelings of being low, um, Various mental illnesses like bipolar, schizophrenia, insomnia, just, just things invading into the human soul in ways we haven't seen in past generations. And I believe, it, I believe that part of it is that we're living in a generation that is more dislocated from God than ever before. We are living in a generation that, that has chosen to believe that Humans can make this work. If we just try harder, if we just do more, if we just think more, if we learn more, if we experiment more, if we, if we work it out more, somehow we'll get it right. And as a result, we've got this generation that is dislocated from the life of God, from the values of the kingdom, and is adrift in this, what's the next theory? What's the next Instagram hit? What's the next uh, famous celebrity that I can 
that I can align myself to and look just adrift in this world of ideas looking for a place of stability. And very often that manifests in high levels of anxiety, high levels of depression with a sense of meaningless, who am I, where do I belong, what really matters in life are the questions that this generation is asking. I, I want to begin to answer it. So we, we kind of laid out the problem and the big picture solution last week, but, but there's got to be some practical handles of how do we actually move to living the good life? How do we, how do we actually appropriate that union with God so that we can be happy? You know what is so interesting to me is that Jesus, twice that I can think of offhand, but perhaps more times, but one, one in John 15 and one in John 17, he made some spectacular statements. He said this, I'm telling you these things that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. You know, every time I read that, it staggers me. Because he's making this declaration that the reason he came was clearly to die for our sins, but that there was something beyond the cross that he was aiming at. And that was human beings filled with joy. Human beings filled with life. Human beings living a full life that, that was radiating happiness, joy, peace, security. And so many Christians, I, I feel like we stop at the cross. And gosh, let's get to the cross. You know, that's probably the most important thing. Let's not leave that out. But, but I don't want us to stop at the cross. I want us to move beyond the cross into the life that the cross won for us. Into that fullness, that abundant life that Jesus promised us. That, that this was his ultimate aim, was to pay for us to come through the death and resurrection that was his into a life that is so abundant, so glorious, so lovely, so magnificent. That it can't even fully be described in human terms. It has to be experienced. So we are going to be looking at a particular portion of Scripture, Psalm 23. I think some of you could say that with your eyes closed. I, before I even knew the Lord, I could say Psalm 23. I'd heard it so many times. What a beautiful representation of the good life. What a beautiful picture of what God is calling us to. David writing many, many years before Jesus was, was looking to and expecting this for himself and knowing that this was the kind of life that God meant us to live. I'm going to ask if we can read it together. Ready, and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Give the Lord a hand.
just as we were reading it, I could feel happiness fill my heart. I hope it was filling you too. You know, just that, that picture of this loving shepherd. I know many of us don't really know, see shepherds and sheep much, much but you know that, that picture that you've seen in so many Bibles, on so many places, of just this, this loving shepherd leaving those sheep and those, those beautiful, beautiful vistas of lovely lakes in green pastures and just everything your heart longs for. The beauty, the rest, the peace, the serenity that God longs to give each and every one of us. So I want to talk about eight habits of happiness. Are you all good with that? And I want to look through the psalm and talk about the habits of happiness that David was describing. So interestingly enough, Scientists tell us this, that you can know the truth, but there can be ways of living that are so ingrained in your life that even though you know they're wrong or you don't like them, you're so used to them, you just do them. You know, it's... I'm going to be vulnerable now. You know, you head home and the first thing you do is go to the fridge and open it and see what there is. You don't know why you do that. You're not hungry. You've just been out for a meal, but you know, it's just, that's what you do when you come in. Or you, you come in, flop down in front of the TV, bam. And you're thinking, I don't even really want to watch something, but this is, this is just what I do when I come home. And there are so many habits that happen like that. You know, you're driving, you're heading off to see a friend, and suddenly you find yourself at the office. Why? Because when you're in the car, there's kind of like a, a way of driving that just slips in, and suddenly you find yourself in the place where you normally drive to. Or has that never happened to any of you? Or maybe it's like you're heading, you're heading, you're supposed to be going to the office and you suddenly find yourself at the movie house. I don't know. It's like, oh, how did I get here? Must be God. But you know how it is that there are certain ways that you just find yourself doing them. And scientists have found this, that to stop a bad habit, you can't, the more you think about stopping the bad habit, the more you do it. Because it's like that when you think about it, it kind of just reinforces it in your mind. And scientists have told us that the way you start a new habit, or the way you get rid of an old habit, is you start a new habit that replaces it. And you spend more time thinking about the new habit than you did about the old habit, and as a result, that becomes your, your first port of call of thinking. And so I want to go through this and just talk about some habits of happiness. How you can be happy. I, and guys, I don't care whether you, how far down the line of depression you come from. I'm telling you, these will work. These are the biblical ways that God describes that we can align our hearts, our minds, our bodies with his truth and receive his joy. So let's look at them. First of all, the first habit of happiness is rhythms of rest. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, or he makes me to lie down. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. What's interesting, that word for makes to lie down, is not, because whenever I read it, I feel like God's standing there with a whip and say, you lie down now. <laughs> but that's not what it means. It means literally he takes you and he lies you down. 
he lies you down in those beautiful green pastures. And something about the rhythms of rest is that, that human beings were never meant to go full throttle 24-7. We are designed from the beginning of time to have a Sabbath once a week. We are designed to have times of withdrawal from busyness so that we can replenish, so that we can lie in those green pastures beside those still waters. And I want to encourage you, if you want to live the full God life, that part of that is finding your rhythms of rest in your everyday life. You probably need, I know you need, a time of rest once a week. It's called your Sabbath. You need a time of rest once, once a month to say, to recall and to just evaluate your life and say, where am I going? How am I supposed to live? You are going to need a time of rest once a year. The Bible, actually the Old Testament, institutionalized, institutionalized that in um, Israeli society and, and commanded certain feasts to happen during the year. And what was that? A time when they had to withdraw from work, focus on God and focus on their relationship with God and be replenished in that time. You will need that on a yearly basis. So you will need rhythms of rest. A scripture that I love is Matthew 11, and it says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How does your Christian life feel? Does it feel like an easy burden? If it doesn't, something is disconnected from the grace of God. The message says it this way. It says that we, we live and we find the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. Grace is God's indwelling presence in you, empowering you to do what you could not do before. Rhythms of grace are such that I am following his leading as to where to put my effort and where to withdraw my effort. The only way you can live in the rhythms of His grace is to be connected to Him. The only way we remain connected to Him is to find times of withdrawal when we are, we are being with Him. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to shoot a few holy cows. Are you okay with that? We can feast on them afterwards. But the sitting with your phone or in front of the television or in front of a screen for a whole day is not a Sabbath. Okay, a Sabbath is meant to be a time where you dedicate a whole day to God and your relationship with God, to being replenished not by IT, not by social media, not by I don't know what it else, but it, by His presence. That's why we go to church on a Sabbath, so that we can be reconnected to His presence and to one another, the community of believers. That's what a Sabbath means. Times, times of retreat are times for Jesus. Live in the, the rhythms of grace, the rhythms of rest. Awesome. Our next habit of happiness is that he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Do any of you have one of those memory foam pillow, pillows? 
Have any of you been like, blessed? Like upgrade, upgrade your sleeping equipment and go and get a memory foam pillow. Like some of you are looking at me at blankly, like what on earth is a memory foam pillow? A memory foam pillow is a pillow that is supposed to, when you lay on it, it's supposed to mold itself to the shape of your head. And then when you get up, it's supposed to reform into its old shape so that it doesn't become all mushy. Okay, so I can see that some of you don't have memory foam pillows because you're looking at me with complete blankness. But, but Andrew, being the loving husband, bought me a memory foam pillow a little while ago. I want to say this, that memory foam might be overrated. Because I found the big thing about this pillow was when I put my head on it, it certainly conformed to my shape, but it just kept on conforming. So it just, it just got lower and lower and lower in the place where my head was until it wasn't being a pillow anymore in that place. And then, to my horror, it never came up again in that place. So now I have a pillow with a huge donga where my head goes. And it's just, it's, it's unhelpful. You can tell I just, I, I gave away that memory foam pillow. I don't know who has it now. But, you know, I feel like... I'm sure not all memory foam pillows are supposed to be like that, but I think sometimes our lives are like that. You know, we, we go through life and we repeatedly get hit or bombarded in a certain area, and that part of your life just starts to form a permanent donga. You know, a permanent indent, a permanent place of pain and heartache, a permanent place of just, ah, oh, this is just out of sorts, misaligned. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have, have a, play, a, a memory foam problem somewhere in your life? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable again. Do not ignore me. Do not, I have a memory foam problem in the place of ignoring. Like, I grew up and people ignored me all the time. It, it, it created this place in my soul where I just hate to be ignored. So if you see me and I greet you, please greet me. Please, please, I have a memory foam problem in that area. But you understand what I'm saying is that we all, life happens. And, and as a result, all of us need our soul restored. Now, everyone has some place that God needs to puff out again, fill again with his presence, make whole again. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We need, as we're getting our souls restored, we need to evaluate our emotions. That's habit number two. Evaluate your emotions. So if someone doesn't greet me and I can feel that feeling of, oh, you're not good enough, no one cares about you, rising up somewhere in my heart, I need to say this to myself. Why are you feeling that? Where does it come from? What is the origin of this? Is it true? Because so many of us are driven here and there by every emotion that just rises up. We don't evaluate, we just act on it. Oh, that feels good, I'll do it. That feels bad, oh, I won't do it. Oh, that, that person seems inadequate, oh, I'm just going to withdraw. So there's just, it's just like we're reacting on this, this sea of emotion and not evaluating them. 
And the only way we can live in happiness is to honestly evaluate our emotions and say, where do they come from? That's how he restores your soul. There's some parts in your memory foam life that God needs to deal with, that God needs to refresh. But unless you accurately evaluate what you feel, you will never allow God into those places to restore them. So we evaluate our emotions. Our habit number three of happiness is live with a true life map. He says that he will lead us in the paths of righteousness. I, I actually have studied culture, so I, I could use some big words right now. I'm not going to. I'm just, go, I'm just going to tell you some interesting things about the upcoming culture, the culture in which we live, the, the, perme the, the kind of thoughts that permeate our world that we don't even know about, the, the water in which we live, so to speak. One of the great tenets of the world today, the, the philosophies of thinking that permeates almost everything, every movie you see, every advert you watch, every article you read, will somehow have this thought permeating through it. And that is this, don't tell me what to do. Freedom means I can do whatever feels right. This tenet says anything that gives you an overarching view of life or tells you how to live in a, in a broad sense is false. Anyone who says they have ultimate truth is lying. And we grow up in this world, but what does it mean? What does it mean? It means that we're living in a society that has thrown away biblical values, that has thrown away a biblical narrative, that has thrown away an overarching view of how we're supposed to live. It's thrown away the roadmap to life. How many of you have been going somewhere and your GPS conked out? Have you had that? You know, I was actually taking a guest speaker to the airport. It was rush hour, and so I got on my GPS ways, and I found the sneaky little route away from traffic. Halfway through the sneaky route, my, my phone died. I, I, I was sweating. Because here I have this guest speaker in my car, and I'm trying to look like I know what I'm doing. And I'm guessing at every turn. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, send a star. Help me navigate. I think it took us like three times as long to get to the airport as it, as, it, as it needed to. I finally had to turn to them and say, please, can you open one of your phones and tell me how to get to my own airport? <laughs> but without a map, it's hard to get places. And what this generation does is we've, we've thrown away the map. And there is a pervading sense. You will understand this. There's a pervading sense of uncertainty to life right now. Everyone is living with the sense of, I cannot determine what is coming next. Who knows what my future will hold? Will I have a job? Will I not have a job? Will I be taken care of? Will I not? How will my relationships work? Will my marriage last? Will my marriage not last? Will my children turn out right? Will they not? Why? Because we've thrown away the map and certainty has gone with it. And as a result, anxiety is... A, is creeping into everything because we can't be certain of anything. And so one of the ways you live happy is you live with a true life map. 
Guys, we've got to go back to this. Every time you feel anxiety, you've got to say to yourself, no, this is what the life mask says. This is what my Bible says. That God has gone before me and made a way for me. That I am safe in Him. That He is my strong tower. That no matter what life throws at me, He will be with me. Mark says, the social commentator says this, if you don't have the mental maps and character formation to steward freedom, it becomes anarchy. In other words, without the Bible, without the values of the kingdom, you cannot live anxiety-free. One of the habits of happiness is as simple as this. Read your Bible. You know that song you sang in children's church? It's true. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. The second part of that is believe your Bible. Believe your Bible. Believe your Bible. You know what? I cannot tell you a day doesn't go by in my life when I don't say, No, that anxiety that I'm feeling is not true. God has a solution. Thank you. Next slide, please. Number four, remember who's with you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. What does it mean if God is with you? What does that mean? What does it mean the next time you have a meeting with your boss? What, time do, what does it mean the next time you write an exam? God is with you. What does it, I know I've shared this story before, but, but I know this, this beautiful, lovely girl who, who does her maths exams like this. Lord, I don't know the answer. Would you tell me, please? She has her springbuck colors in mathematics. I'm just saying it works. I, God gave, gives her the steps. Don't worry. It's like the understanding comes with it. It's not just like she has one answer. But, but that's what it means. It means that nothing is impossible. It means that every day you can expect divine intervention. It means that you will never face a situation alone. You will never face a situation that is impossible, undoable. Because God is with you. Habits of happiness number four is remember who's with you. Habits of happiness number five. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. You know, if, if I could choose something out of Psalm 23 to throw away, this would be the one. Literally, what he's saying is that the shepherd with that staff and that rod, when the sheep goes out of line, you know, he gently pulls him back. But if he keeps going out of line, that rod's going to come into play. Just a little short tap on the flank of that sheep. And you know, a little bit of pain and that sheep comes back into line. What does this mean? It means that God lovingly corrects us. Every marriage will have this cry. Why don't you change? Now, all the married people are just looking down nervously at their <laughs> Every marriage would be better. Every relationship would be better. Every work environment would be better if people just received correction without coming up. No, it's someone else's fault. No, it's because of this. No, it's because of my upbringing. Just say yes, thank you, I'll be better. 
Can we all just practice that? Yes, thank you. I'll be better. Receive correction. Growing up, we had a dog called Sammy. Not Pastor Sammy, just plain old Sammy. Sammy was got from the SPCA. Sammy had grown up in some environment we don't know, but Sammy was an escape artist Lux. Everything about Sammy, from the moment he woke up to the moment he, he went to sleep, was about escaping from our house. I mean, we gave him food, we loved him, we did great things, but, but Sammy was determined that the world out there was better. My dad uh, wired up the gates. He put, you know, extra fences in. He raised the walls. He did everything. Sammy found a way out every time. We could not keep Sammy in. Sammy died running down the road free and had a massive heart attack in the middle of the road. We loved Sammy, but Sammy would never stay home. I think my dad aged like 50 years in the time we had Sammy. But the Bible talks about these kind of, yeah, don't be Sammy. That's my, the moral of the story. Don't be Sammy. Psalm 32 says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Change quickly. Habit of happiness. Change quickly. Change quickly. Habit of happiness, number six. I love this part. This is my favorite part of Psalm 23. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. When I was one time visiting some friends in Grahamstown, we went to this particular prayer meeting. It was called a guided soaking prayer meeting. Don't worry, there are strange things in Christianity. It was one of those strange things, but it was so impactful to me. What they had done is they had made different rooms, each representing different parts of Psalm 23. And this one room you walked into was completely dark. And they had made these big shadowy figures around the side, side covered in like dark material. And you walked in there and you saw these looming huge figures that looked like they were about to destroy you, eat you think bad thoughts about you. You know, it was just, it was so intimidating. And then right in the middle of the room, under a spotlight, was a small table that was laden with every delicacy you could imagine. And the instruction was to walk into this room and sit at that table and enjoy the feast. My word, it was so rough. You know, you, you just putting that tasty, dainty cake into your mouth and you just see this looming figure over your shoulder. You know, it, was, it made me realize, though, what the psalm was talking about. You are going to go through rough times in your life. You are going to go through difficult times in your life. The enemy is going to throw things at you. But here's the thing. Even at that time, you will have the most beautiful table laid out before you. What does that mean? It means that even in those times, God will be good. And here are the things. The, the, those looming figures are lying. They're lying. They cannot rob you from the the beautiful delight that is in front of you unless you let them. Every day we have to make the choice to notice what God is doing in our lives as opposed to what he isn't doing. Yeah. The threatened uh, job loss, the uh, 
difficulty that could be there, the exam looming. These things threaten to rob you of the enjoyment of the moment that God is blessing you with. Do not let them do that. Habit number seven, live from abundance. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. How many stars does the universe need? Really? I mean, how many stars can the human being see? We are developing telescope after telescope after telescope, and we still can't see the end of the 